we can change all the time until we're 90 in very meaningful ways. We can go from being an introvert to being an extrovert, things that never and nobody thought um, would be political person to being very synthesis oriented from being very practical to being very present we can move from being a workaholic to you know spending more time with our family and, and meditating we all those things are completely open none of this is restricted the world around us is changing faster than ever we hear people say everything's a blur and when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, the self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer Today, we are privileged to have Rayut Schwartz Hebron, born in Israel. And she is a certifying partner at Key Change Institute, a published author, a leading expert at the intersection of neuroscience and change. And in her current role, Rayut trains and certifies change leaders to use neuroscience-based models to support people through transformation, growth, transitions, and difficult change. I think you'll find this a fascinating conversation. And thanks for tuning in today. Rayut Schwartz Hebron, welcome to The Big Self Show. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be here. Well, you know, I can I can tell, and I am so excited to have you on. Thanks for being willing to come on. Link, we're LinkedIn friends. You have quite a following. You're constantly posting fascinating things, and I was I just wanted to just have a chat with you and um, see where our conversation might organically go. Uh, the one thing that it's not as organic that we've been doing for season five as we have been asking our guests. When you hear the expression or the term big self, uh, what comes to mind? What do you think and associate with the term big self? And you could contrast it with being in a little self or interpret it however you would like. Uh, first off, I think it's a beautiful question. But um, for me, I think that, each and every one of us has a, um, a very unique core and that that core is very rich and very powerful and very um, intuitive and just capable. It just has a, a very um, wide and high and, you know, just, just a very meaningful reach. And I think most of us don't have access to that core mm. that we have. We, we either because we grew up a certain way and have been taught to restrain it or because we just haven't learned how to gain access to it we we 
Um, so we, we weren't limited, but we weren't taught to expand it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I actually think, you know, one of the things I was just, I was just having a certification call right before I came on the call with you. I'm working with someone I'm certifying Mm-hmm. And she was she was giving the the client a little bit of advice, and I said, whoa, 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 hold hold it right there. <laughs> Let's talk about you know what we have permission to do as coaches and what we don't. And I think for me, our role is to get our clients as close to their core as possible. So to give them as much access to that big self as you or as I'm as I would translate that term. Um, as possible that that's our job our job is not to tell them right and wrong is to allow them to access that part inside of them that knows what they should be doing next so there so (laughs) true yeah so true interesting the way that you're going to core and i i think that's really fascinating i'm thinking about how you're saying some resist or don't want to or and and others just don't even know how to access it and um you know i've just i just spoke with um shelly and i just spoke with uh dr james hollis and you know he talks about this idea of of how we want to if we really listen to what he calls the soul or the psyche trying to speak to us we have to be prepared that it might say things that are uncomfortable to hear especially from conventional wisdom or like you know if we're if we're following the rules of what we've thought we're do, supposed to be doing all, maybe we're living out our parents li- lives maybe we're just doing what we think culture we're, we're trying to raise a family who knows what we're doing but it's culturally approved and then we access this maybe core you're referring to or something deeper and truer to ourselves and then we're and then we're faced with that is threatening to my ego that is certain threatening to the other people in my life I don't even think I can, I don't even know if it's really true I'm, maybe I'm not going to listen to it and one way or the other we I, he, you know we've point it's like you kind of there is a price to be paid to listen to your soul in some ways perhaps and to not and to just follow along, along with what society wants us to do yeah yeah and you know, I I would um, kind of t- take take your uh, statement and and raise it if you don't mind. I'm playing mm-hmm. poker with you, right? <laughs> and um, you know, I I think in addition in addition, we are so trained, especially in the Western world, to communicate with our prefrontal cortex or with our you know with our conscious mind, that we create we create a reality for ourselves that we believe in. We, we, we believe, you know, I could say things about myself or define myself in ways or, or identify my challenges in ways that my uh, prefrontal cortex or my aware self is, is, um, compo- you know, has composed for me. When there's a whole other part of me that knows things about me 
um, more my limbic system or my subconscious that knows things about me that I have not, I'm not aware of. And what happens when on the journey to connect with your core and on the journey to become free and fulfilled and really live your, you know, your full self, your big self or whatever you want to call it. What happens if on that journey, now you discover things about yourself that your subconscious knows about you, (laughs) but you don't. And maybe there's a reason you didn't want to acknowledge these things to yourself because you're quite comfortable with how you define, you know, even if the way you define yourself is negative, meaning let's say I say, oh, you know, I'm really um, not a very controlling person. I'm not really in, you know, I'm not really on top of things all the time. I'm forgetful. Let's say that that's how I define myself. Ironically, that actually provides safety because I can now assign things that maybe I'm uncomfortable with or now I've now I've tagged it and I can live with it in a way that that I can understand it at least but now I start engaging my subconscious or I start engaging more of myself and oh wow there are things I need to learn about myself that are different than what I'm telling myself that touching them in order to grow might be threatening might be not comfortable Mm-hmm. So so now 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 is in the negotiation between do I want to live with my thought out self, my projected self, my rehearsed self, I like to call it a lot of times, or am I willing to access that part that knows things about me that I didn't want to say out loud? <laughs> right. Because uh, uh using your example, it's like now I can depend on others to do some of that that they I've told them, look, I'm just not good at this. Uh, and you're right. It's interesting. There is a little bit of a protection there. Uh, I'm sure. But like like so many of those things that it comes at a cost. And I guess, you know, I get and maybe this gets into us into the conversation a little bit more, because I guess most people aren't going to be moved to want to dig deeper until, you know, until something's failing or not working with this prefrontal projected rehearsed self. Uh, And so I've actually, you know, you've long since I think observed that whenever we want to bring change to something, we, we, we have to first deal with uh, the patterns that have been put in place. Uh, And actually, I think this is true, whether you're talking organizationally or personally. Um, so what, like, and from your perspective as, as a neuroscientist, from a neuro, neuroscience perspective, what, what would you say is this main question? Like, when we're wanting to change, we say, you know, to wake up, to transform, uh, is it, do we move forward to that self we want to be? Or do we have to, is what's, what comes first? Or do we have to unlearn certain things that are just keeping us in that stuckness or that place we say we don't want to be? You know, when you say unlearn to someone like me who actually is all about unlearning and, and lives and breathes unlearning, of course I'm going to say it's about unlearning. What am I okay. <laughs> but, um, but I do, I do want to answer. I think there's a very important and complex point to be made there that we often miss um, from a neuroscience perspective. Okay. Um, 
so you know you look at you look at behaviors all these behaviors that we want to change or all these um, goals we want to achieve they they're blocked by certain patterns and so on okay so we look at these we understand their patterns in the brain what we often miss yeah is that the way we interact with change is also a pattern and and what i mean by that is that people interact with change change especially unlearning especially if you have a pattern you know let's say we go back to that example that just because it's easy we, mm-hmm. we can make up a million Let's go back to that example where we said, you know, I I I forget things, I'm forgetful, or I, I'm I feel like I'm not on top of things. Okay, so that's a pattern. Maybe we want to change that pattern. Now we're interacting with a change that is going to lead us to, you know, changing that pattern, and now it's going to be uncomfortable because we have to unlearn a pre-existing pattern and adopt a new one. By default, the unlearning itself, even if we really, really want the new pattern mm-hmm. and we want to let go, if we're highly, highly motivated to change, the unlearning itself is going to be uncomfortable. And as soon as we enter the unlearning realm, because it's associated with discomfort, the other pattern that's going to be introduced right away, which is how we interact with discomfort not just how we interact with discomfort associated with change. These are our patterns across the board. So if I, let's say that I interact with discomfort by um, self-minimizing myself or dismissing myself, okay? That's going to come up in relationship. It's going to come up in relationship with all discomfort in my life or many incidences of discomfort in my life. Let's say Mm -hmm. that instead of that, my interaction with discomfort is that I become very cerebral, very cognitive. I start thinking a lot, ruminating. Well, that's going to come up as I'm introduced to an effort. It's going to come up to every discomfort that I'm going. Let's say that I get angry or that I get hurt or that I make it personal or that you see, I mean, there's all these patterns now that are my patterns of interacting with discomfort. As soon as I hit the discomfort associated with unlearning, they're going to wake up. And unless we do something in a change process to engage those patterns, no matter which change we try to adopt, they're going to get in our way. So alongside whatever else we're doing, it's so important to start looking at those patterns as well and start changing how we interact with discomfort. And believe it or not, you know, after, so this is a lot of the work that we do. This is the people that I certified. This is what we focus on is changing the way people interact with discomfort um, and, and unlearning previous patterns and adopting new patterns of interacting with discomfort. And what you'll find is that sometimes a few months could be four months. It could be eight months, but quite quickly after adopting these patterns, all of a sudden people transform very, very quickly and their attitude and their relationship with discomfort changes. And so it's, it's sometimes even celebrated it being, being or, or exciting to be introduced to change. Um, right. So yeah, just, just. Uh, well, that is, I mean, so you went in this direction of, okay, that's surprising and really interesting because when I was framing the question and, and and I was thinking about it, 
and also just thinking about clients and and, and people who come uh, to us in various levels of of burnout or or struggling on what we call the first mountain and and you know wanting to be on the second mountain of life but not knowing how that works um i'm i'm like a lot of if you're in discomfort and you're coming to coaching and you don't know exactly what you're going to get and you're faced with all kinds of uncomfortableness and looking kind of almost what we could say backwards to undo pat sometimes that's just overwhelming for people and they just think they just i think just it's they don't even know how to begin to move forward so actually I think that is super interesting that you're saying, yeah, you got to do that, but you do it in a framework of simply examining your entire relationship with discomfort in the first place. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, and, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, please. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I think a lot of times we think about change as something that is a struggle Right. And and really, even when we frame it like this and we think about discomfort and we think about, you know, the, this kind of interaction, really a coaching process is 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 like a process for, for from my perspective, from, you know, from from a neuroscience perspective, it's really a nourishment. It's a nourishment. So rather than um, trying to have you push through something or have you struggle through something, the idea here is to give you skills and to give you new abilities while you're unlearning, while you have to deal with all these challenges along the way, to yeah. give you the nourishment so that you can deal with discomfort in a much more free way, in a much more aligned and nourishing. I mean, I don't, I don't know of a better word for me. Like I literally see us like watering a plant <laughs> in my yeah. mind's eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And in fact, my, uh, I have a, a coach. I, I just, I refer to her as kind of a spiritual coach. She just, un, she's intuitive. She knows the Enneagram so well, and she can just speak to, uh, what I'm, and she used, I, I was, I told her, I said at one point I was like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm feeling like my, I don't know. I think it was, I had decided I would journal every day, micro journal every single day of the year and that it kind of got stale and tiring for me. And I was kind of judging myself a little bit for not being consistent enough. Like, like I noticed that um, uh, my brother, he's not listening to the podcast, so I can, um, he, I noticed that he is able to do like those, he can journal every single day. He, he'll meditate every single day. And I was you know, kind of judging myself a little bit with that. And she was basically similar to what you're saying. She's like, well, look, first of all, it it was pretty obvious I was being rigid in what I could do to be doing some of the work. I like sitting in, she was, she was encouraging me to like, think of a lot of different directions and maybe it's more like variety for you right now. And what is your, what are what's what's the resistance about and the, and she used the word think of it as nourishment and that that word helped reframe um right there so we are um we're speaking the same language um you know is is part of neuroscience's mission to help people to see that they have these patterns in the first place is that basically what we're talking about mm, yeah so Okay. 
<laughs> That's the, a big the question, right? The different, no, no, I mean, no, it's a great question. It's just, it's just, I, unlike many in my field, don't really value awareness as much as many other practitioners. Mm. Um, I get in trouble for that, but I mean, there's science that says that you can transform without the awareness. In fact, if you engage, I mean, we we know there, there are methodologies that have been used for transformation without awareness for a really, really long time. And, and kids, oh. you know, if you think about how kids grow and how they learn, they don't learn, you know, what is our culture? How do we behave at home? What is it? Nobody yeah. puts them down and says, you know, do this, don't do that. That's not how, how we transform. So hmm. um, there's there's a very strong movement and I think it comes it comes from medicine and comes from traditional psychology and Freud and all that good stuff, which I'm which I'm not diminishing. I, I think that I just want to say I think awareness has a, a wonderful role in our lives. Um, it is very supportive of transformative processes for sure, okay. but it is not a requirement from from a neuroscience perspective. It is not a requirement. It's a well, I just want to say. I yeah. am surprised to hear you say this, but like also uh, sort of relieved and almost excited about what you might say about this because it it did. I think just yesterday it dawned on me. I was like, how can I, not every client is going to want to learn a lot of things? Not only not, it's not just intellectual knowledge, but even just you have to learn how to be self-aware. <laughs> there, and so, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I just intuitively had this thought of like there's got to be different ways in there are there are and you know when we when we as coaches we think oh my gosh you know people are reflective and and you know we're going to do this through awareness and we're going to do this through right. acceptance well you know a good 80 percent of the population if not more <laughs> is not that reflective it doesn't have access to accepting, you know, recognizing their patterns and doing all this inner work. That's that's a luxury that some of us yeah. have. But as a coach, if you really want to support a good chunk of the population, you cannot only use aware. I mean, you can, but <laughs> it's going to limit you. It's going to limit you to the people who have access to those abilities. And not everybody does. Well, so how do we... How do like what what what's your um so since you're you're not like contradicting you're not against the aware so what's your plus one what's your uh, what what are what are the additional uh, ways to in yeah so you know I mean again if you if you try to engage the prefrontal cortex and bring your emotions up for reflection and to then process transformation that way. We know, we know that there are two systems in the brain. There's the explicit system, which is prefrontal cortex primarily um, mm -hmm. and heavily like thought and then there's the implicit system in the brain that really is an experience-based process, right? This is mm -hmm. how it engages um, through experiences and not through knowledge, not through understanding, not through awareness. None of those things are required for that system to actually operate. And in fact, that's the system that transforms. So if you're if you're doing it through the prefrontal cortex, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to bring whatever's in that implicit system up to the explicit system, process, 
use awareness, use understanding, and bring it back in to the implicit system. But we can access the implicit system directly. There's no need. And I'll give you a couple of really quick examples. Okay. So if I had asked you now to go back to your last birthday and describe it to me, just remember, or I don't know if that was recent enough for you to remember, um, but you know, last time you went to the grocery store or last time, anytime, you'll notice that as you have to remember it, you actually kind of have to go back inside in your brain <laughs> yeah. and imagine it in order to describe it to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's you know, my, my birthday was like 360 way. days yeah. ago. So I don't really oh, know. Well, happy birthday then. Coming up. It's a few days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy belated birthday then. Almost. You. Almost. Right. It's, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, well, okay. So, so you're just saying like there, it literally imagine the experience of go of accessing what you're calling the implicit part of our brain. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And if you do that, and if you engage that system in the transformation, yeah, you don't have to reach awareness. So a person can transform and not even realize they're transforming, believe it or not. So you were asking me earlier, well, yeah. you know, do we have to get people to be aware of these patterns? No, no, we do not. <laughs> They agree to do the exercises. They have to agree. So it's not, we're not, I mean, look, we can, okay. we can, we can manipulate people into transforming, but that's, you know, we, we, we don't want to do that without their choosing to do that. So out of, out of respect, right. Out of respect for another soul and in respect for another human right. being. We don't want to do that. And as much we as we want them with their journey. That's right? right. They have to be ready. Right. So look, again, this is this is things we say. We say this out loud. It's actually not true. They don't have to be ready. Think about brainwash. Oh, think they about, don't have to be ready. Well, I mean, look, think about trauma. Do you think people are ready to be transformed by trauma? They ask for it. Of course they don't. Right. right? Things happen in our lives that are experiences that are transformative, happen without our choice and change us. I think as coaches, we want to have respect for another soul's journey to not interfere. But it's not that we can't. I think we shouldn't. <laughs> you okay. know? Yeah. Ethically. Um, right? Yeah. Um, but from that place, just to understand that if you engage them to transform through experiences rather than um, through this this kind of cognitive conversations that we have about change and we bring things to awareness, which is A, valuable, B, helpful, more helpful to some people than others. I have nothing against it. I'm just saying there's mm -hmm. another system. Hello, can we start using that other system also in the transformative work? Well, we, so, I mean, I certainly am like, yes, I, I want people to be balanced, you know, get, get like act, be, be more aware of what's going on in your body be more aware of your emotions and and how they're impacting your your thinking i don't is that where you're going just like like you're you're talking about like being more aware of what's happening just in almost like the nervous system <laughs> i love it i love it so um no that's not what i'm saying and, and, I, okay. and i love that you're using the word aware being more aware right awareness is an explicit function. That's an explicit system function. What if you could change 
without, I mean, right. It's, it's unfathomable. I'm saying it. Yeah. And it's like, so without awareness, yes, I'm, I'm actually saying without awareness, do certain exercises will transform without being aware that you're transforming. How about that? Does that sound, I have to tell you one more thing. I have to tell you one more thing. Okay. I, I'm, I was just teaching a foundations program. So we have a certification program that we offer. And I was just teaching a foundation, brilliant, brilliant group mm-hmm. that I got to work with. Um, a couple of them with a PhD, two other ones, very experienced practitioners, change practitioners. And um, we were going through the program and they said, oh, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to remember all of this. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to use it. And I said, look, by the end of the 12th session, we will have covered this in so many different ways, in so many different contexts, that you will do it even if you don't remember what I said. <laughs> okay, so coming at uh, those are but those are ideas, right? You're coming at different ideas from different angles, and and just you're you're practicing though. You're saying you will have practiced this enough that even if you don't, okay. Um, I see. Yeah, that I, we got. I think we got to sit with that a little bit. Um, well, let's do something that let's explore a little bit of a topic that just would make it maybe more black and white for people, you know? Because let's. Uh, like if someone's trying to you know overcome an addiction and because like a lot of our habits in a way we could say we have dependencies um with our habits and we can extrapolate that but we can have all different kinds of addictions we can have our our chemical addictions we can have the shopping addictions um of course people are addicted to just any their devices sex i they all kinds of things um what would you say then if we were to continue to pursue this line of thinking of you don't have to have more awareness, but there are other ways without you even knowing, how could you begin to unlearn in this transformative process that does need to begin with this unlearning as well? How do you deal with that discomfort in, in that context? And maybe you're saying, I don't even have to be ready because usually you kind of have to be ready, don't with, with not wanting to be addicted to something. I mean, you have to. Well, from the point of view that I said, I will not take your choice away from you. I don't right. think I should. From 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 that point, you need to be ready because it is your choice every day to decide to transform. So, <laughs> because I would not enter that space, that's the readiness that you should have is to make a choice okay. to move right, forward. Right. 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 Um, but beyond that, and you know, when we talk about addiction, like you mentioned, there, there's a there's a chemical aspect to addiction, which means that certain people, after they've been addicted, if they're addicted long enough or have used substances in a way that has actually destroyed, you know, because the, the brain is is chemical. So if you know, if the chemicals have actually hurt the brain in a way that is in, in irreversible then there's a component to this addiction that I'm not the right person to talk about. You you should talk to, um, right? There are aspects of it that can't be changed with just behavioral or, or, you know, transformative work because actual chemical structures have been injured. It's different. But but beyond that, beyond that, when we talk about, you know, someone who's, who's, addicted to sex or someone who's addicted to work or someone who's addicted to, 
you know, um, cigarettes or whatever else. Okay. Um, cigarettes, although they have a chemical impact in the brain, they yeah. ha- usually, you know, people have not, unless you, you use them for very, very long and very, very um, high quantities, um, you know, you're not going to ruin the actual structures in the brain. So when that, when those kinds of habits are formed, now the next question is in an addiction, what needs to change? Does the addiction need to change or our relationship with the addiction need to change? And I'm going to argue that if you say you haven't, let's take something that's very common, which is being addicted to work. Okay? Right. Ask, we need to ask what exactly about work that are you addicted to? Because mm-hmm. maybe you're addicted to being busy and that allows you to not stay involved in your emotions. There's That's one thing, right? Or right. maybe um, you're addicted to work because, um, and this is important. I know I'm kind of going on a tiny little detour from your question, but unless we identify what you need to change, you're, you're going on a, on a, on a you, you could be hitting the wrong thing, right? Sure. Climbing the wrong peak, so to speak. So, you know, if, if, Say you're you're staying busy with your work because you feel it gives you a sense of status, and it's really important to you external, you know, kind of external. Um, that would be a different that would be a different avenue. So we, you know, there are different right. things like that that we would need to examine. Once we've identified what that is, now we understand what needs to change, right? So let's say that you're addicted to work because you don't want to exam, you don't want you want to stay busy all the time so that you won't need to have space to be with your emotions. Mm-hmm. If we know that that's what you need to unlearn, now, we, now we're talking about something you need to unlearn, right? That's a much deeper thing. And we know that this is something you need to unlearn because if you're escaping your emotions, you're not just escaping it with work. You're escaping it in all kinds of different ways in your life, right? It's a deeper, what we call an unlearning pattern. This is a deeper, meaningful thing that you need to learn. Once we identify this, we understand that as soon as you're going to start interacting with this, you're going to not want, you're going to interact with the discomfort in the way that you're programmed. Remember what I said a little back while ago that one of the patterns come up right away is how you interact with discomfort. Here it is, it's kicking in, right? So if you are someone who wants to avoid their emotions, that's also going to be how you interact with discomfort. Yes? You're going to run from it. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, right. If you're if you're avoiding your emotions, you're going to avoid discomfort. Is what you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to avoid the dis- I mean, that's how you avoid discomfort in general is you're right. avoiding your emotions. So you're going to react exactly the same way when unlearning comes along. When you need to start working towards being, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a catch 22, but there's a skill that you can be provided at that moment in time. And what we clients like that a lot of times is they'll come in and they'll do everything in the world in the coaching session, not to touch their emotions. So the very, very first thing we need to do is counteract their dysfunctional response pattern to discomfort. So we're going to start teaching them how to effectively engage their emotions so that 
they don't run away from emotions in order to be, you know, be addicted to work. And then it's kind of like a, it's not a direct line from addiction to how you will resolve it. You have to, you have to take a a back route. And, and I'm going to add this in because I know this is a bit of a mind bender. We don't even have to really talk to them for hours and hours about being addicted to work. They don't need to be aware of that at all for the problem to go away. This nourishment and have them to feel more comfortable with emotions. They're going to stop running away from it and they're stop going to need to have to run into work and be, you know, it's a sequence. I hope that makes sense. It does. It makes a, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You're well, I absolutely agree with you. It's not going to, it doesn't coaching is not teaching, you know? And so, um, and I think, as you said at the very beginning, you, you're when you were talking to someone just previous to this call that you can't direct it. You have to, you have to interpret and be listening and helping them to come, come and you're providing the safe space. You're providing the space where it can be safe for them to go, okay, well, how does like walk up to the line a little bit of how this feels? And then, okay, okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> um, and providing a little bit of, um, yeah, just a, a container for them to uh, grow, explore, and begin to maybe, yeah, not necessarily, I think to your point, have all of the awareness, but just to begin practicing the way it actually is. I, I, I like that. Um, and and it's encouraging. And I mean, in general, you know, for a couple of decades now, I mean, one of the comforting things of neuroscience is that there's some science to, uh, it's providing this empirical validated research to, uh, what a lot of people for just so long it's, oh, it's a soft skill or it's a, it's a social sort of suspect science, um, this psychology, I guess. Um, but so one other thing that's interesting for at least the past couple of decades is with the just idea of neuroplasticity. And a lot of people, we get entrenched in these patterns, we get entrenched in our personalities, and we begin to say, look, I, I think my brain could have done a lot of a whole lot of work before I was 18 months old, maybe a whole lot of work before I was five or six. But now, you know, it's just like, it's I can't, like learning a language. It would be so hard right now. I'm, I'm, you got to accept me for who I am. There's no hope. There's no, no change. Neuroplasticity has been saying some, been saying, sorry, right? You can't, uh, you can't go be quite so comfortable just, uh, just accepting passively your fate. What does neuroplasticity uh, tell us about how the brain is able to continue to learn? Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting, I mean, I can understand where this belief system came from, because actually, um, the way the brain is, is the way the brain grows neurons and, and synapses in the very beginning, do I need to define neurons and their synapses, or this is uh, complex no. enough to talk? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, you know, when I started more than 25 years ago with this, just to mention the word neuroscience or brain or neuron, oh my God, that was very, very uncomfortable. Nowadays, <laughs> In the I don't even need to, I don't even need to late. define it anymore, which is a, right. it's a party. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, you know, 
the reason that we think this way to begin with is because originally the brain first when we're born there's a there's a tremendous growth of neurons and then actually the brain trims about half of them at, at a certain point so it is true that there's certain things we don't have access to anymore however um, more in terms of like you know, how many neurons you have in your left brain versus in your right brain or things like that, that are very, they're very kind of big scope abilities as a human being. But, and here's the kicker, the way we change and the way we operate and patterns actually happening are not so much about the neurons themselves. We don't need to grow new neurons in order to have a new pattern. We need new connections between existing neurons. So it's the synaptic activity that is important. Now, it's true that neurons that are active, they have a what they call a myelin sheet around them. So it's a, it's a gooey kind of layer around it, which makes it more conductive. So the electricity goes through it better mm-hmm. when, that, when that layer is around it. So certain neurons are more strengthened, if you will. But if you start practicing creating new connections. So you're actually, you're strengthening the synapses, not the neurons. And you can change which synapses are active. And if you do that, different neurons are gonna get more myelin and other ones will kind of fade out. It's not that they're gonna go away, they never disappear, the connections never disappear, nor does you know, a, strongly, uh, uh, a neuron that has a very strong myelin sheath around it, meaning it's been very, very active, yeah. doesn't become inactive, but it can fade. It can become much less dominant if another neuron uh, becomes more. And it happens because the synapses are changing. And those, there's trillions of them. That's just like, you need to create new ones. You just need to strengthen new connections. That's all. So, of course, we need to change. Of course, no, we don't need to change. I mean, we can't, you know. We can change all the time until we're 90 in very meaningful ways. We can go from being an introvert to being an extrovert, things that never and nobody thought um, would be a political person to being very synthesis oriented, from being very practical to being very present. We can move from being a workaholic to, you know, spending more time with our family and and meditating. All those things are completely open. None of this is restricted. I mean, that's pretty profound thought. Yeah. So as we begin to, so, you know, let's, you know, we, we, you know, really work with the Enneagram a lot and we, we work with it in terms of being able to identify what we say is who you are not. We use it as a tool for growth. It's, this isn't a, um, a prescription for how you need to be or what it's describing kind of a very narrow parameter of lens that you're looking through perceiving the world from. Um, but it seems like even knowing the directions to grow, it can be really hard and it can be a life's work. It's, but you're you're almost saying something that probably would challenge that a little bit that um with the perhaps maybe the right practice uh and the right frame of mind you can dramatically you're saying change our very per, perhaps even our very personalities 
I'm I'm saying I'm saying listen to this. Um, I, this I get pushed back. I'm so used to as I told you now, 25 years and more now I get pushed back. So I'm like, bring it. Um, but <laughs> but you know I'm I'm saying there is no personality. I'm saying personality is a construct of your mm-hmm. pref your current preferences of what you're reinforcing in your brain. If it's good for you, by all means, keep that quote unquote combination of preferences or you want to call the personality. But if you want to change it, you can change it. Almost, I'm saying almost, but you know, a good 97% of it, you can change any of it if you wanted to. Wow. Uh that's that is so uh you mean like in, in a relatively short amount of time or just like over years and years of deliberate practice and work? Well, it depends on what it is. You know, uh, let's say that you are very um, controlling. You know, you, you're yeah. very attentive to detail. You're, it's very important for you to be meticulous. Um, you know, depending on where this is coming from. So if this is coming from high threat or, you know, you're going through trauma, that would be a different, that would take longer. Um, But Mm -hmm. if we're talking about someone who has adopted this pattern because they feel that it keeps life organized and it helps them move forward more efficiently, can you change that? Yes, you can change that in like three to six months and you can stop being so meticulous. If, if If a part of it, of being meticulous and so order organized is limiting you and you want to change it, not because you need to make the choices to keep transforming your patterns. Right. But if you do that, yes, 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 you can. Wow. That's, uh, there've been some deep thoughts here. You, you've been, um, you're, uh, I love some of your just strong, uh, clear ideas. And a lot of them, I think in a way offer kind of a lot of hope, uh, it's it's almost the opposite of feeling that there there's nothing I can do. It's it's all about you know what your your brain's incredibly resilient. I'll just use that word. Um, well, let me ask you one more question because yeah, these these uh, conversations really. I mean, I the old cliche of we could talk for hours and hours. I love this stuff and uh, I love your ideas. Um, but let me just ask one more question. And it's it's on the nature of um, kindness because, well, first of all, I noticed, you know, you've written a book, Outswim the Sharks, How to Quadruple Your Team's Productivity with Kindness. And I believe you published that quite quite a little while ago in 2007, uh, so maybe in, I don't know the context you'll tell me, but, um, it sounds like almost a like case study of like, Hey, I'm going to prove some ROI to you, to y'all about how, if you are kind in the way that we're defining it, that, that you'll, you're defining it, um, it will lead to powerful results within an organization. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I just want to say that my second book is called um, Changing People Who Don't Want to Change. Okay. So I took I took the exact opposite. And from talking about kindness, I actually took to the side of people who are much more resistant to change. I just want to say, because there's a whole picture. And, and this I'm saying this because I don't see kindness as a naivete. I don't see it as a nicey nice. Yeah. Um, for me, kindness is something that when combined with proper accountability, 
when pro and, and accountability does not need to be unkind in any way. It just needs to have good boundaries. So if you know, if you combine kindness, I mean, I'm I'm presenting here with you today. I came in with with as little ego as I could bring to the picture. Mm -hmm. um, with as little need to, and just, and just to be with you and talk today and connect and yeah. share and hear, you know, and I've felt that. And I think, yeah. And I think, and I think why not? What, what about that is diminishing us in itself? The, the, the thing about it that diminishes us is if people then assume that they don't have to respect our boundaries, then kindness becomes an issue. But as long as kindness comes with good boundaries, it's a powerhouse. It's the best possible way to connect, to be healthy, to be present, to make the right decisions, to everything. I mean, <laughs> what about it is not a good... Right. Um, but it's not just being nice, right? It has nothing to do with being nice. I, just, <laughs> I think it's quite assertive today. You know, I... I have yeah. no problem telling you my opinions very firmly, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I can respect yours and I can respect our differences. And I don't have right. to in any way think that I am better than you or that I know. I mean, what does kindness have to do with nice? Nothing at all. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Ray, this has been a uh, fun conversation and uh, and a lot of goodies, I know, for our audience. Um, really, I th thank you so much for just your generous uh, use of time, but also just your your energy. You, you've got a, a wonderful, uh, candid, straightforward, and very thoughtful um, energy. So um, thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you for having me. And likewise, I really, really enjoyed your energy as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Awesome. We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. Ray Yu to sharing with us today is that you can change. Simple as that. You can change even if you don't want to change. You can change whether you're 19 or 90. You might not want to change if what you got going on is working for you though. And one thing I think you might be intrigued by within that idea is that if you believe you've got it all going on, but you're struggling with constant stress or possibly even burnout, then maybe consider how there may well be parts of your personality that you aren't that aware of that are playing a role. Something to think about. And you know where to find us at BigSelfSchool.com, where we offer one-to-one -one coaching, as well as trainings and workshops for organizations big and small. Here's to seeing you on our next episode of The Big Self Show.